Hi, welcome to Positive Light, where we're bringing a positive influence into this world and into your life. And hi, I'm Bob Miles. And today's episode is on God gave us free will. So free will is granted to everybody. If you desire to incline towards the good way and be righteous, you have the power to do so. If you desire to incline towards the unrighteous way and be a wicked person, you also have the power to do so. It's time for us to see God's gift of free will not as a limitation, but as God's greatest gift to humanity. Free will frees us from being God's puppets and enables us to become God's partners. God gave people a free will so that we can make our own choices. When God created mankind, he gave him something very unique. Man received a free will so that he can make his own choices according to his own free will. The fall occurred because man used his free will to listen to Satan. Nevertheless, the way of salvation was made by Jesus Christ with that same free will. God, who has all power and all wisdom, has given each person a free will, which God respects within his laws. Having a free will does not mean that we can do whatever we want without suffering the consequences. Because even though we have a free will, we are still responsible for the choices that we make. We can choose to sow whatever we want, but we cannot choose what we will reap. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Out of Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Just as God respects our free will, we also must respect the free will of others. Does that mean that we have no responsibility for anyone else? Of course not. Just think of children. If a child is very young, his parents cannot simply think, well, children have a free will, so they should only do what they want to do. Parents are responsible for the upbringing of their children. However, as their children grow older, they must find a healthy balance between a child's free will and the parent's responsibility to bring that child up. We have a great deal to learn in this area. For example, as parents, we should not dominate or provoke our children. Neither should we attempt to turn them into copies of ourselves. Instead, we should be examples for them. Bear them on our hearts and pray for them. We should maintain contact with them and help them understand things clearly instead of burdening them with a lot of rules. This also applies to our relationships with other people. It is instructive to read how Paul conducted himself toward Philemon with regards of Onesimus, the slave who was in Rome and had been converted. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ and command you what is fitting, Yet, for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, out of Philemon's 1, 8, 9. And he continues, But without your consent, I want to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. This respect for one another's free will is also fundamental when it comes to serving and giving in the church. Then wisdom can teach us to find and delicate laws concerning our relationship with each other. On the one hand, we must never dominate one another, scold one another, or be demanding toward one another. At the same time, we must bear one another on our hearts, pray for one another, encourage and exhort one another. 
Our aim must be that as many people as possible willingly, according to the desire of their own heart, enter into God's will. Then our love for Christ will lead us into the perfect law of liberty. Then we will want to serve and bless our fellow man, voluntarily, from our heart with joy. And from Rick Warren, he states, God doesn't force us, but he gives us a choice. A lot of people have a big misunderstanding about God. They know God planned their existence and has a purpose for their lives, but they have the wrong idea that every detail of life is pre-planned. They think they have no choice. In fact, the Bible teaches the exact opposite. Yes, God has a plan and a purpose for your life, but it's not automatic. You can miss it. That's because God won't force you to enjoy the plan he has for you. He gives you the choice to accept or reject his salvation. He gives you the choice to obey or disobey his directions. He gives you the choice to follow or ignore the purpose for which you were created. Far too many people miss the purpose of their life because of their poor choices. The Bible says repeatedly that God will not force you to do his will. When Moses led the Jews out of Egypt and into the desert after 400 years of slavery, he told them about the land of milk and honey, a land of great, bountiful blessings that God had promised them. It would be so different from their years of slavery. But before they went into the promised land, God, through Moses, said to the people the same things he says to you. Today I'm giving you a choice. You can choose life and success or death and disaster. I am commanding you to be loyal to the Lord, to live the way he has told you, and to obey his laws and teaching. You are about to cross the Jordan River and take the land that he is giving you. If you obey him, you will live and become successful and powerful. Out of Deuteronomy 30, 15, and 16. God was giving them a choice. God wanted his people to enjoy the bounty of the promised land, but he didn't make them accept it. Their choice was theirs. This picture of salvation, of coming out of slavery to sin into freedom in Christ in order to enjoy life in the promised land, the Israelites had to choose to obey God. You, too, have to choose whether you'll accept God's salvation and the good things he's planned for you. God could have made you a puppet, but he didn't. He gives you the ability to choose. If you choose poorly, that that choice is your greatest curse. If you choose wisely, it's your greatest blessing. Today, God gives you a choice between life, choosing salvation and his path, or death. Which path will you choose? The world defines freedom as a life without any restraint. I can do anything I want to do and say anything I want to say without anybody telling me what to do. Everybody else may get burned by you, but you get to do it your own way. The world says you can have your freedom but only by being totally selfish. Yet the Bible says the only way to true freedom is through Jesus. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed, out of John 8:36. Real freedom is freedom from fear, where you're truly free from guilt, worry, bitterness, and death. You're free to quit pretending because you're free to be yourself. How do you get rid of those kinds of fears? By letting God love you. The Apostle John teaches that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear out of 1 John 4.18. When you realize how much God loves you, 
you'll begin to live in true freedom. In fact, you worship God when you recognize that God is love. It is an act of worship to agree that He is a loving, caring, generous God, and that we can rely on the love God has for us out of 1 John 4.16. So next, I'd like to read you a story, and the story is called The Gospel According to Winnie the Pooh. I'm a big Winnie the Pooh fan, been a big Winnie the Pooh fan since I was a kid. If you have kids or have ever been a kid yourself, you may recall an incident from Chapter 5 of the A.A. Milne's classic storybook, Winnie the Pooh, in which Pooh and his good friend Piglet set out to catch themselves an elephant, which they endearingly mispronounce as a heffalope. Pooh devises a rather cunning sort of trap. He decides that they will dig a deep hole and then place a jar of honey as bait at the bottom such that an elephant will be lured in but won't be able to escape. Piglet agrees to dig while Pooh goes off to retrieve some honey from his pantry. When Pooh finally arrives back at his house, he walks into his pantry and takes down from the shelf a pot that is worded honey inscribed on its side. Just to make sure that the inside really matched the outside, he took off the lid and to have a look at its contents. Sure enough, it's rich golden honey. But, observed Pooh, one can never really be too sure about these things. I remember my uncle once telling me that he had seen cheese at this very color. So rather than leaving to chance a thing of such great import, Pooh took a big lick right off the top. No doubt about it, he exclaimed. That is indeed honey right down to the bottom. Unless, of course, Pooh conjectured, unless, of course, somebody put cheese in it at the bottom just for a joke. Perhaps I better go a little further. And so then he licked a little bit further into the pot, then a little bit further, then a little bit further, until, a few minutes later, there was no honey left in the pot. At that point, Pooh gave a deep sigh and declared, I was right after all. It was honey all the way down. For Winnie the Pooh, what matters is what a pot really contains all the way down. If it's only got honey at the top, but something quite different underneath, that is something he believes you ought to know about. Oddly enough, Jesus held the same view. His harshest words in the New Testament were leveled against the Pharisees, who were outwardly pious but whose hearts were unloving. Which is to say, Jesus wasn't trying to get people behave more religiously. Jesus didn't want you to go to church more, sing more hymns, memorize more Bible verses. Religious activities like that may be tools, but they aren't the point. Rather, what Jesus was after was the transformation of the human heart. He wants us to become people who, from top to bottom, are formed in the way of love people who are through and through pure and holy and loving. May our hearts be filled to overflowing, not with cheese, but with love all the way down. So next, I'm going to introduce a song called Only a God Like You by Tommy Walker. And here it is. I was just going to pray a prayer for the night. Oh God, we pray for the sake of your glory, for the sake of your great name. Come and do a mighty work among us now.
just thrown above. He came to live with us, came to be one of us. To only the one who stopped to heal that blind man, took the time to save that one lost lamb. To only the king who wore that crown of thorns, so I could wear the crown of life. And to only the one who conquered sin and death, come on, so we could be set free, so we could still live and sing, come on. Hey, what a great song by Tommy Walker. And here's what he said regarding this song. He said, this song is from my Never Gonna Stop album, with which recorded at my church in Los Angeles, Christian Assembly, with Integrity Music in 2000. It is simply the declaration that I will worship the God of the Bible only. As I have been reading through the Bible lately, and I have been reminded, and throughout history, human beings seem to constantly stay away and worship other things and other gods. What a blessing it is to have been over the years to shout out through this song that I am a worshiper of Jesus and Him alone. In our society, it is common to hear people say that they act or are a certain way because of their genes, because of the way they were raised, because they didn't have the privileges that others had, because their father was an alcoholic, or because of some other traumatic event in their childhood. While all these things may be factors that influence our behavior in the present, such a view conflicts with the two scriptural teachings, God's sovereignty and our free will. God's sovereignty is his absolute control over the universe he created, so that everything that happens in our lives, every situation is his perfect circumstance for us. Free will, on the other hand, is our freedom to respond to our Creator in obedience or disobedience, without coercion and without our choice being predetermined, whether by God, Satan, or by our childhood or biology. It is our freedom that distinguishes us from animals. At first glance, however, God's sovereign control and our free will appear to contradict each other. This is just an apparent paradox. However, stemming from our faulty understanding of what free will is. Freedom or free choice is at the core of our personhood. Why is this so? 
What makes us persons is our capacity to have meaningful relationships with other persons, and especially with God, the one person in the universe. Our relationships with others are meaningful because they are moral. I don't mean or as opposed to immoral, but rather that personal relationships always have a moral quality to them. I can either treat another person rightly or wrongly, with love or callous, and selfish disregard for their welfare. So whatever way I treat another person, a moral quality to the relationship is always present, whether good or evil. We are inherently moral beings, as well as inherently relational beings. Even if we are morally wrong and selfish, right and wrong, good and evil, righteous and sin are facts of human life. God created us this way because he himself is a moral and relational being. After all, we are made in his image out of Genesis 1, 26 and 27. When God placed Adam in the garden, the first thing he did was to give Adam the command not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil out of Genesis 2.17. For it was through this tree that humanity would become aware of themselves as moral beings. The knowledge of good and evil was a good thing, and humanity would acquire the knowledge either by obeying or disobeying God. By obeying God, they would be choosing the good and rejecting the evil, and by disobeying, they would be choosing evil and rejecting good. Through this choice, Adam and Eve would be exercising the personhood which up until then was only a potential, a possibility. After giving Adam the command, he created a woman to be helper to him, another person with whom he could be in relationship. Thus, from creation, God created us to be moral beings who personally relate to other moral beings. We have the capacity to choose between right and wrong. Without this choice, we would not be moral beings, and therefore we would not be persons, and God could not hold us responsible for our lives. We would be nothing more than animals with a higher capacity to reason, and we would be unaware of the moral quality of the effects of our actions have on others. We would not have to answer to God for anything, because we lack the awareness that our actions were right or wrong. Someday all of us will stand before God and give an account of our lives on this earth. It is appointed for humanity to die once and then to face judgment, out of Hebrews 9.27. At that time, God will expose the secrets of our hearts and Christ will judge us all. So it is extremely important that we understand on what basis we will be judged, on what grounds God will hold us accountable. Very simply, we will be judged by our obedience or disobedience to what God has revealed to us. Since God has made himself known in some form to all human beings, everyone is without excuse for their sin, Romans 1.20. Nevertheless, each of us has a choice to obey or disobey God. This choice must not be coerced or predetermined in any way by God. Since unless the choice is free, we cannot be held responsible for our actions. But scripture never uses the phrases free will or free choice. How do we know that we have such a thing? In the book of Deuteronomy, God says to the people of Israel, I have set before you life and death, the blessings and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. 
by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. For this is your life, out of Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20. God does not set before people two alternatives and then predetermine what choice they will make. It would be a mockery for God to command the people to choose when he knew very well they could not. Moreover, Elijah commanded the people to choose and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. 1 Kings 18.21 Elijah obviously believed the people were capable of making a choice to follow the Lord. In Genesis 2 and 3, God placed the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden precisely in order to give human beings a choice. He commanded them to not eat of this tree and placed a serpent in the garden to be the mouthpiece of Satan to tempt them. Without the tree and without Satan, Adam and Eve and all humanity would have lived in paradise forever, but not as a full persons. God wanted them to confront good and evil and make a choice. God did not predetermine the choice, although he knew beforehand which way they would choose. Free will was built into our humanity from the Garden of Eden. But if God gave everyone free will, how can he maintain control over his universe? How can he work all things together for our good unless he is in control of everything that happens not only in our lives individually, but in the whole world? How can God mean for good with what human beings and Satan through them intend for evil? Think of it. Six billion people in the world all of them with free will, it seems like there would be nothing but chaos with all these conflicting wills. In giving his creation free choice, did God surrender control of his universe to them? Surely not. For then how could Jesus be crucified at the hands of evil men according to God's definite plan and foreknowledge unless he was in control of human events? God was not waiting around for the opponents of Jesus to make up their minds whether they were going to crucify Jesus. The plan for Jesus to die for the sins of the world was not plan B, since the Lamb was slain from before the foundation of the world. That means that whatever human beings choose, their choices cannot disrupt the plan of God for his universe. God is sovereign over his universe. Though evil truly exists in the world, Nevertheless, it cannot disrupt God's plan and control over his universe. Whatever evil exists in the universe, God turns and uses it to accomplish his goals. So, though the devil intends to kill, steal, and destroy, it is God who created the destroyer to do his work. We should take great comfort in this fact, since it means that absolutely nothing can stop God's loving plans for his people. As Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of God out of Romans 8.39. So God is sovereign over all that exists and all that happens. This includes all events of nature from the tiniest atomic reaction to hurricanes and tornadoes to the formation of stars and planets. God's sovereignty also includes everything that happens in the human world, from the least important, such as a chance meeting with a stranger, I will never meet again in my life, to the most significant, such as when we receive Christ as Lord and Savior. But there are really no insignificant happenings in our lives. Since God is behind each and every event, 
even if he is not the direct cause of it, even if someone is treating us in a cruel and selfish manner. God wills us to have the experience and attend some kind of good through it. Otherwise, God would not be in control of our lives, and evil could take God by surprise. But God knows and declares the end from the beginning. Since he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, God does, doesn't simply react and use the evil for good. And if the evil stumped him and he had to think for a few minutes about what to do, no, God intended the evil thing to occur. He intended for us to go through the pain, but always and only out of his good and loving purposes. On the other hand, if God is in total control of his universe, what room is there for free choice? After all, if my choice is truly free, then God does not coerce or control it in any way. Otherwise, it would not be a genuine choice. God wouldn't be making my choice for me. If everyone can do exactly what they like, how can God be sovereign? But wait, that's just the problem how we define free will. Most people, including Christians, understand free will to mean the freedom to do whatever we choose, to control our actions, to decide what we are going to do in the next moment. But this sounds more like a definition of independent self rather than definition of free will. I suggest that the real reason that most people and even most theologians have difficulty reconciling free will with God's sovereignty is that they operate from the view that they are independent selves who control their own actions. But scripture is quite clear. We are either slaves to sin or to righteousness, out of Romans 6, and are operated either by the spirit of Christ or by the spirit of Satan. The choices we make about what to do next or how to react to a situation are never directly under our control at all, but the product of a spirit who operates and motivates us from within. When we were believers, we enter into sin. It is Satan who is acting through us, making decisions through us, even perceiving our situation and other people's through us. When we are obedient to God, it is Christ who is living, planning, and perceiving our situation through us. Where then is our free choice? Our choice is simply this. We choose to obey or disobey, to take God at his word, or to disbelieve him and trust what Satan tells us. This fundamental choice determines which spirit operates us and controls our actions. That is why our free choice never threatens the sovereignty of God. God ultimately controls everything we do, since even Satan can only do through us what God permits him to do and ultimately intends him to do, though with a far different purpose in mind. The only real, though totally free choice we have is to determine whether we will be vessels of Christ or of Satan. As Paul has said, now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earth earthenware and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work out of Second Timothy. We can be vessels of honor or dishonor, of Christ or of Satan. We may not control what these two spirits do through us, but we are responsible for the consequences, since it is our choice that determine which spirit operated us. That is why God can hold us accountable for our actions. Even though we do not directly control those actions, 
Our free choice determines which spirit is expressed in our actions. So our free will and God's sovereign control over his universe are really not in conflict. When we realize that we are not independent selves, but vessels operated by one of two spirits, we can see that our free choice is not the ability to control our actions, but our fundamental response of obedience or disobedience to God. Free will is a central doctrine of the Christian faith, for without free will, we would not be held responsible for our actions, and God's judgment would be a mockery. On the other hand, unless God was sovereign, his promises could not be trusted, for he would lack sufficient control over his universe to ensure that their fulfillment. Fortunately for us, God is both sovereign and entirely loving in giving humanity the same freedom that he himself possesses. So that does bring an end of our episode today. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Uh, my closing prayer as always is that God blesses the journey you're on with him and that you embrace that path. Next week's episode is going to be on Gratitude Changes Everything. Hey, you can connect with me at positivelightpodcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And anywhere you download your podcast, you can get Positive Light for free. Hope everybody had a great week. God bless, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you.